0: Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to unique, scintillating, fabulous people from across the globe with unique and insightful discussions that will help comedians like you and me make this comedy journey our own and live it on our own terms. If you like it, if you like this episode, share it with your friends. Give us a five star review on Amazon or iTunes. Subscribe and follow this fantastic journey, or share it with your friends. And if they, if you know, if, if you don't like anyone and you d- you don't didn't like it, share it with people you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> now today's guest is an absolutely wondrous and transcendent individual.
1: No, no, do
0: it over. That's not correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Today's guest is absolutely fast, fantastic. You, he's, oh god, he's a poet and comedian all the way <laughs> in America. He got so many different stories, and he started this poetic and comedic journey at the same time. Sometimes both at the same gig, I can imagine. <laughs> but yeah. he he is gonna. He's going to provide some insightful discussions today and you guys are going to absolutely love him. Please say hello and welcome Max Kirwin.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I do not deserve that intro, but I did, so just so everyone's clear, I wrote that for you to say. You did not. I I That was a scripted and I, I wrote that and I paid you extra to write, say that, so thank you for saying that. <laughs>
0: And we'll discuss it later about the fees. <laughs> yes.
1: What's your Venmo? Anyway, we can do that later.
0: So Max, like, t- it's a pleasure to have you. Like, tell us a bit about yourself. Like, where do you see yourself in five years' time? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Oh, yeah. good. <laughs> tell, us, tell us a bit. About what your am I interviewing for? And how okay. did you, um, how did you start this poet and comedic journey? Like, I hear that you started this all the way in university whilst you were partying and drinking lots of alcohol.
1: I was, well funnily enough, I was not a big drinker because I had to take medication in college so that really dampened on my whole uh, uh, drinking life. But yeah, in university, I went to public university and I spent the first two years studying something that everyone told me was going to be important, which was computer science. And I hated it so much that I um, took a poetry class just just to like, because I had to take an English credit. and. I loved it so much. It was I was something that I'd never even discovered. My parents aren't creative. Nobody mm-hmm. in the family is creative, and I didn't realize I could be that type kind of person. And so then I dived in poetry head on for the last two years of co- of college and um, started doing stand up towards the end of college. So that's kind of how I how I started. I poetry first, and then I got into stand up after that.
0: Okay. And how did you how did you how did you fall into stand up?
1: Um, I just had, I've always had a, a desperate need to be unique <laughs> and uh, stand up. I, the, the second I switched to poetry, I was like, this is unconventional. I'm just going to lean into it. Cause I can't do something uh, uh, reliable in terms of work. I can't be an accountant or a computer science engineer. I had to do something that made me feel special as, as childish as, as, as that sounds. And so tried out for the improv troupe in, in my university. They uh, hated me. <laughs> uh, not, not not individually. They were just like, it, you're not for us kind of thing. And so I'm like, okay, what else can I do that makes me feel like I'm doing something special? And there are some open mics. And this is in Seattle, Washington. So it's the West Coast of the US. So it's a pretty liberal city, artsy city. So there's open mics I started at. Um, and so I started doing that towards the end of uh, my last year of university.
0: Oh, and, and like, how was that? And like how was it being a Seattle and performing gigs in these liberal cities did you say lots of f-bombs and all that and they were like yo <laughs> dog get
1: out <laughs> uh yeah they're not they're di- a different kind of audience they're they're just very sensitive in general i mean these are all open mics so the people who are there are very drunk or are not realizing they're watching bad comedy so there's there's that and also they're they're just sensitive to every topic. So if, for example, this is maybe not a great example, but if you were to talk about cancer, at, you know, the illness, um, they would they would probably seize up a little bit. So you have to be really funny to, to get that to work, which happens anywhere. But, but um, specifically in the West Coast cities, liberal cities, they are just, you know, open to all clean material, all, like, funny, um, basic you know, daily observations. But if you go anywhere near controversial, you're gonna have to work hard to earn it.
0: Okay, so it has to be a real banger, a real top, real like a real good bit for them to be like to to accept it without. Like the thing that happens in a lot of audiences, you don't even have to say anything offensive. Just a certain trigger words, and they're already exactly. up without even looking at the context, and they.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like even the word, even using my terrible example, cancer, that people seize up when you hear that. And so even, even if you start a set saying, I want to talk about cancer, you are, you have made yourself quite a hole you have to now climb out of. You have to hide it. <laughs> yes. Hopefully you can hide it.
0: And what, what was your experience? So they don't recognize bad comedy. So that means you got lots of laughs.
1: <laughs> You're so generous. So very kind with your assumption. No. <laughs> uh, I, well, I mean, I'm sure you had the same experience. When you start out, you have no idea what you want to talk about. You have no idea what your voice is. And so you're just like, what What can people laugh at? And so I was just like, you know, flailing around thinking, what do I talk about? And so the first two years or so, I don't even remember. I mean, I did find my footing when I started to find specific subjects that I found resonance with, um, but before that I was just like what is funny puns I don't know act outs uh uh weird observations about the our culture I was just searching for anything
0: and did it and how how long did it take for you to bash so you but you started in Seattle right and then Mm -hmm. you moved into so tell us a bit about how how did you find your voice and I hear that you moved over to LA. How did that lead over to right. you moving to Los Angeles?
1: Um, so this last my last university and I've been doing up for, I think, about, almost a year now in Seattle. And uh, I just um, felt like, and this was a premature assumption, but I felt like I can, I can do in a bigger city and I get my start there. And, you know, I'm sure we could talk about working in smaller cities and larger cities for like an hour about about moving to different cities. That's always a fun topic. Uh, but I just felt that I wanted to try my hand at, you know, one of the big capitals of comedy in the U.S. You know, it's Los Angeles and New York. And Los Angeles was closer. And I, would, I just decided on a whim. There was no premeditation to it. Uh, it, was, it was a terrible decision. In hindsight, I should have stayed in Seattle and worked on a bit more. gotten into my comedy chops. Uh, cut a bit more. But it was a a a reckless (laughs) a reckless decision to move to Los Angeles. But I'm glad I did now. But you know, when you when you're performing in a bigger city, the the stakes feel higher and everyone around you is just naturally, you know, very ambitious. So that does help you if you're if you're starting out early on. But it is also, you know, competitive, overwhelming. A lot of people go for the same thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, how many? When you compare the sizes, would you say that there's maybe something like? Because um, when I went over to New York and LA, I got the feeling that just on the open mic scene there, it's probably as big as most small cities' entire scenes. And then when you include the pro circuit as well, there, my God, there must be thousands of people in these cities.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I yeah I I would be scared to estimate who how many people are working on comedy in LA, but the the uh, the the thing to I think the the signifier is how many open mics there are any day of the week. And in LA, there's at least five to ten mics every night of the week, and um, whereas in Seattle, there I mean when I was doing comedy in Seattle, there was maybe one or two mics that everyone knew to hit up once once a week, and every day of the week. So. The, the difference there is like five times the amount of mics in Los Angeles. Um, also, Los Angeles is a bigger city, too. But it was you know, overwhelming if you move somewhere and it's like, oh, there's not just one mic that everyone does, you know, there's 10 mics that you can choose from, and they all have different people at them.
0: Hmm. And it's a bit, it's a, I hear in LA, it's a bit like the Wild West like you have to pick sides like you have your pink shorts you have your red shorts you have black shorts i don't know
1: yeah well yeah the yeah we all pick a side and the side is don't wear shorts on stage so that's the side we all pick (laughs) (laughs) uh um i don't know what do you mean by sides do you mean like comedy styles or or the the scene itself actually you know what
0: this is something that isn't i'm not going to go into because it's i think i've covered it a lot in the podcast and it's a thing that well, i want to talk about it because it hasn't what stories you have to tell and how to become a better comedian and i was saying that in la i hear there's lots of clicks but obviously ah. and different sort of sides if you go in one gig you can't do others but i think it's a topic that is not really that important i feel
1: okay no worries
0: um what so when you start this journey, right? How did you find your voice? And how long did it take? Right. And what, what was the moment you found your voice?
1: You asked me that before, and I completely ignored it. So so thank you for bringing that up again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is I think it was in Seattle where I really found that how to start my voice. And it was just really, it was almost a basic instinct to find what people are attaching to as any comedian does when you're doing s- time when you're telling jokes what are people responding to what aren't they responding to and the first thing where they were people started responding to is I have Crohn's disease which you may or may not know anything about that's fine I'm not going to do my whole set here for you now Um, but that was something unusual not you don't hear many comedians talk about how they have Crohn's disease and so immediately I had a good premise even if I didn't have any jokes on it because people don't know anything about Crohn's disease you can dictate the entirety of their knowledge about it in your jokes, you uh, control everything about the, about the joke. You know, there's because when you talk about, for example, let's talk about like marijuana. If you did, if that's your premise for a joke, people already have ideas and dispositions about marijuana, and so you're working around that. When you're talking about something that no one's ever heard of, no one knows about it, you have so much control over what you're talking about. And so when I started and told Crohn's disease, everyone everyone was interested because everyone's curious they have no idea what that is and so that allowed me a lot of more control um early on and so i knew to start my voice somewhat and you know going back to my whole childish need to be a unique person i you know did some material that no one else really does crowns material and so that's kind of how i started to fall into my voice is talking about things that no one else talks about um and that's kind of also how it led me to doing poetry on stage as well it's because nobody else was doing it
0: and you, uh, watching from the other interview, you. And we'll bring it about later. You. So, how do you sort of combine both, both, both arts? I mean, in some ways, it's you. You, you get the practice of doing more gigs because I had uh-huh. someone on the podcast who performs in cabaret, burlesque, stand up, uh-huh. uh, improv every sort of scene you can imagine, because she's so diverse, Mm -hmm. does that give you more, more room to test out your material and perhaps give you more opportunities in a way because you're a poet and a comedian?
1: Uh, Yes and and no. It's, there's a lot to talk about in this, in the the subset of reading poetry for comedy. Um, Where should I start? Well, to start out with, it's very difficult. Uh, because on a base level, poetry is a, is mostly, and in my experience, this is my experience with it, it's mostly a, a, a reading um, experience. You read a poem, and if a poem is funny, sometimes if you read it, it's like, okay, that was amusing, maybe you chuckle out loud. You know? That's not something that's getting you belly laughing in, in a room by yourself when you're reading something. So to bring that onto stage is very difficult, and I quickly learned that reading poems that were funny reading poems out loud on stage that were funny to read in your, on your couch does not elicit the same experience. (laughs) So I had to then take a look at the poems I was reading on stage because I wanted to keep working on it. And I was like, how do I make these funnier? And so I started to write poems that were, that joke formatting, you know, so poems that had premises, they had, that had punchlines, they had setups. Um, And I definitely was influenced a lot by Bo Burnham who used to read poetry on stage in his, in his set, and he's even published a book of poetry. So that I knew was possible from from Bo, who, who was on a first name basis with me. I call him Bo because we're on a first name basis. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, and so that's just how I got started reading poetry. I wanted to be unique, and I knew I had to figure out how to make it funny. And then over time, a lot of poems didn't work, and I found, you know, just like jokes, one or two poems, these would get laughs. Some of them would get laughs, but not good enough laughs. So I was like, maybe this isn't working. And um, as I was reading poems on stage, I was also writing poems for the purpose of reading to be funny, not re- reading out loud. And so this, while I was doing stuff on stage, I was also writing serious and funny poems in the background. And then I ended up putting a bunch of funny poems into a, I mean, I'm condensing so much here, but I ended up putting a bunch of funny poems into one book. And then I published that book in 2017. And then that book has a lot of poems I now read on stage because I wrote some of those poems in that book to be performed.
0: Okay. And could I get a free copy? No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, With the poem, okay. And what's what's the process like? Because you... I think you mentioned in the other interview it in some ways is similar but in some ways Mm -hmm. developing poems and jokes are very different
1: it's once once i learned that i had to format it like a joke it made it a lot easier but beforehand i would say and this is not to toot my own horn too much but i would say my poems were too smart and too literary to make average audiences laugh so I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Sometimes you write a joke where the reference is too specific or it's just too thinky of a joke and people just aren't, aren't with you. You know, that's the thing I experience a lot of comics have. Um, and so that's kind of what I was first encounter when I was reading poetry I had written was this was uh, too, not, not, maybe too smart isn't the right word, but too too heady to really be a joke joke. And so Now I look back, I look back to my poems at the ones that I was heading, like, why don't I just, I have to say the joke here. I can't just make people find the the answer themselves. I have to kind of dumb it down a bit, make it more like a joke, have a punchline, have a setup. And so I start, I just read longer stuff and now I read shorter stuff because people don't have the attention span to hear a long poem. So that's immediately out. Uh, Um, uh, Oh, go ahead.
0: Oh, that's. So you you treat do you treat, you treat uh, poems a bit like doing a one liner joke?
1: Some are some are yes yeah, some are literally one line. At the longest thing I think I read on stage is maybe six to eight lines. Um, and what you can also do is even before I also I play I like to play with this because this also helps is before or after you read the actual poem you talk about it and that is also in itself a premise or a punchline. So for example. There's one poem, I think, where before I read the poem, I'm like, this poem is about my dad. And I talk about how much I hate trash compactors. It makes no sense. Two completely different things. But because I set that up, I completely changed the meaning of the poem. So when people hear me say, uh, you crush crap, you know they're thinking about my dad not about a trash compactor. Terrible example. But <laughs> that's, that's the idea. Yeah, that, and then the same thing with after the poem so i have an this is an actual example i read a i read a dark kind of disturbing poem and then afterwards i don't pre- i don't set it up at all and then i read the poem people are shocked people are somewhat disturbed and then afterwards i say this is about friendship or something you know something totally left field and then that that gets the laugh people ah, okay, okay so in a, yeah in a way you're averting expectations which you do with any joke you can do this with joke you know um all i'm doing is i'm reading a poem and then and then changing people's expectations of it afterwards.
0: Okay, so two things. So if you go, I went to the to the horse. I saw it in the yard. It was like it was like fleas in the park. It was like teas in the shed. It was like gypsies in the hill. And you say, "My God, I hate seeing my pet dog or something." And that's that's so you right. climb it like it. Yeah exactly. Is there a way you deliver it as well? Like, because of your style? Because something mm-hmm. based on the way you are as well?
1: Yes. So my instinct is usually very deadpan. That's just how I started. I um, also it's the comedy I like too, deadpan. And so when I'm to, for, in your example, you know, if I say at the end, you know, that's why I hate my dog, I, I give it little inflection. And that's my instinct is to just, um, let people find the joke i don 't don't give them any expression or tone to indicate it, but there are also some poems where um, the whole joke is me being enthusiastic, so if i 'm enthusiastic about something just absolutely stupid or pointless, that's also you know funny because it conflicts with the subject matter when you're like this is fun isn't isn't killing your parents fun? something stupid like that okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <killing> your pet.
1: <laughs> okay, well, listen, that's because it's an actual thought I've had. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, if so, if you're developed, I have to think about this question here. Mm-hmm. Do you use it to expand on one line of jokes you're working on? Or do you just use them as two separate bits?
1: That is so interesting. I never incorporate jokes I've already written into a form of poetry. Actually, that's not true. I have written jokes that I, that I think these are better as poems, and I have written poems that are better as just told jokes. The closest time I think they turn into a hybrid is um, when I I like to read from my book. I feel like it gives people more of an immersion if I pull my book up on stage and I actually read from it. And so that has been really nice. And I and part of my book, because it's a comedy book, it's meant to be comedy. The reviews are all serious. <laughs> but uh, on the back of the book, when I, when I bring it up on stage to read from it. And before I read from some poems, on the back of the book, there are these reviews that I wrote. And I wrote all the reviews. They're, they're comedy reviews. They're meant to be funny. And so before I read my poems... I just go over the reviews and those are all jokes. They're all joke reviews. So I those get laughs. So in a way my opener into poetry is reading from my book of poetry but reading the reviews, which are jokes that I've already written. If this makes if this makes any sense. I've basically written openers on the back of the book that I can start out reading, get people warmed up, get people into the idea of poetry because you have to sell them on it. Oh. Gonna, I could, go, I could talk about this forever, but but people are not into reading poetry out of the blue. You have to sell them on it. And so that's why I read these joke reviews on the back of my book. It gets them warmed up, gets them into the idea of listening to poetry, and then I can read some funny poems.
0: And you set it up in the thing. So I got a review from this guy. His name is Bill Touch himself, weirdo. He says, I like it. What's his name?
1: <laughs> Sorry, what's his name? <laughs> Bill touch himself weirdo I don't know oh Bill oh yeah I remember Bill touch himself oh that guy is a weirdo <laughs> yeah I met him yesterday
0: <laughs>
1: oh you did huh was it in a bathroom or or a secluded alley <laughs> oh secluded alley <laughs> okay
0: <laughs> with dogs as well so they were watching
1: no, oh there <laughs> were dogs there but they were watching okay they had they had they had they had cameras they were taking pictures
0: of course <laughs> but so okay but if i was to do a joke like one of one of my the joke that works for me because i'm mixed race i'm english irish and chinese but i just do the bit where i say i'm half irish and half chinese and i say i'm a hard-working alcoholic how yeah. if, if i were to sort of would it just be a bit if i do a joke And then try and expand it. Would that be a bit just be too weird if I started trying to turn it in a poem and say, "I'm Irish," and that's because being Irish is like a tea in the he, and being Chinese is like Mm -hmm. chopsticks in a fridge.
1: (laughs) This this is how I get canceled is trying to do your half mixed race jokes. Um, (laughs) No, no, it's okay. No, if I I were to try and tackle that, the first thing I would do, I can see your instinct. Your instinct is to go into poetic, poetic language. That is that. Sometimes it doesn't work for me. So what I do is I start a short, I I go as economic as possible. Short, um, short verses, uh, short stanzas, and and maybe the title of the poem could be being being mixed race. And then you go into each. You have examples for, you know, the, like your first one. Your first joke is is a stanza, and then you continue with more examples. And that's a really basic way to start any joke into a poem. Is just. What's your premise? I'm mixed race. What are your tags? Example one, example two, example three.
0: OK. You, but yeah, yeah it's. Would, would you say which is easier to maintain once you've got the attention, which is mm-hmm. easier to maintain the attention, just writing jokes in the one liners or the poems themselves, is it, which loses them quicker?
1: That's a great question. Is this assuming that that they're that both the jokes and the poems are equally funny? Yeah. Okay. I think it's easier to hold people. If they're if equally funny, it's, for me at least, because I'm not much of a storyteller. So for me, it's easier to do poems because with poems, you can take your time. You can give it a bit of performance. You can insert silences in your act, which is super important if you've ever done longer longer stuff, you're like, I, I can't be talking all the time. There has to be little bits of silence people reset. And so if you're telling poems, you know, you can take a point on a poet voice. You can speak more slowly, enunciate things that grab people's attention naturally, biologically. People are going to pay attention to all of a sudden your tone changes and your cadence changes and you start reading something intently, you know, like that. <clears throat>
0: What you said there, is that is that what you do to try and seduce people? You say, "Hello, lady." I like, do. Yes.
1: <laughs> I say that. I say, "Hello, lady." Da 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 da, and then they and then they fall to their knees. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: have you have you ever used poetry in it in it to woo anyone?
1: <laughs> have I ever used my comedic poetry to woo a lady? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've used them to scare them away. I'm like, I'm sorry, I need to be alone right now. I'll read you this poem and then you'll get out of here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what? That that could be, it's great. For, it's great for these, you know, sales calls that people do. Just say you're going to read them a poem or something.
1: Yeah. If I get a, if I get a call, a spam caller, I'm going to say, hey, oh, we want to sell me car insurance. Well, first let me read some of my new poetry. And then they hang up right away.
0: I think that's a good idea. I'm going to use that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you should.
0: <laughs> but make it really so. J- make the joke and them, where like, oh, okay, you want to sell me so this? I'm gonna sew you some poetry, and this poetry is about mm-hmm. how I kicked his shoe into my neighbor's window.
1: <laughs> yes, and then see how far you get in the poem before they hang up. You know, if you get if they if they stick around and they're like, this is actually great. Then you've got yourself a winner. You know, it's a win-win. Either you kick them off, or they say this is amazing. need you need to put this somewhere. You need to publish this poem.
0: And you're gonna put it in your set.
1: <laughs> yeah, they put the whole story there. Uh,
0: so one of the things <laughs> it would be quite quite a good sketch, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the Bill Hader SNL alum made this joke at a, at a panel I watched one time, where <laughs> where um, a, a plane gets stuck on the tarmac and they're waiting to take off, and the pilot goes to the intercom and starts reading his own poetry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Please send me the link.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's on uh, it's on YouTube somewhere.
0: I'll have a quick. What? So with your sort of you trying to do poetry and like this big need you have to try and be unique, mm-hmm. how with comedy I found that a lot of people sometimes have an adverse effect reaction to things that are different to this what mm-hmm. they want it to be of being this this the way the system's supposed to be but at at the end of the day with comedy if it makes people laugh it makes people laugh that's that's the rule all the other stuff is all your own opinion really and trying to say that's the rule (laughs) is a load of shit.
1: yeah it's both both points are true and i have also there are some people who will just never be on board with your premise and that's something you just have to accept you can some people you'll just cannot win over like I, did a, I read poetry at a show once and afterwards a lady came up to me and said, hey, I don't normally like poetry. And that was the end of her sentence. And so it's just like, she hated poetry. She was into it. So even if my poem was the funniest poem ever, she's already decided that it's not funny, that she doesn't like it. So there's nothing you can do there. You just have to work on the people that are receptive to it. Yeah. Uh, but if it's funny, they'll laugh. You know. So that part you can control.
0: And you mentioned there like you've always wanted to be unique and Bo Burnham sort of mm-hmm. inspired you in a way and I'm he's someone that I hear a lot of and I hear his Netflix special was amazing mm-hmm. and I want to f- you know I love the way he plays the piano does all this music and I want to find out a lot of m- more about him. not seen much of his stuff yet mm-hmm. but are there any other inv- like people that inspire you in comedy today to be inventive and creative and do things outside the box
1: uh... Uh, yes, I mean, right in front of me, I'm, I have on YouTube paused Rory Scovel, who's an American comedian. Did a week of shows in 20, 2018 where he improvised an hour each night, and he always does something wacky, and he's and he didn't write any material for this week long shows, and that's you know I love that energy. His energy is also very yeah he's very wacky, but in but in a, a kind of a smart stupid way, like he combines smart and stupid. Um, are we gonna say something?
0: No, I'm like uh, a whole hour of just improvised yes.
1: stuff. Whoa, for, for a week, weeks' worth of shows like that. Crazy.
0: I'm just whoa,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's really great though. It's on YouTube, it's a documentary. It's called <laughs> I'm plugging his show, but it's called Live Without Fear, Rory Scovel. You guys should look it up on YouTube. It's free to watch, it's really amazing. Um, watching him freak out before he does a show where he just improvises everything so he's very influential and there are also comedians who maybe their sense of humor doesn't drive me but their ambition and their performance does like mostly american comedians i'm going to quote here but beth stelling i just saw her recently and she is she's up for an emmy nomination she is so poised on stage and she's so she has so much intent that uh it 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 it, it pushes me it gives me ambition to you know work on that even if it we have different senses of humor
0: what's her name again the
1: uh beth stelling first name beth last name stelling s-t-e-l-l-i-n-g
0: and rory scovel
1: rory scovel s-c-o-v-e-l scovel both american <laughs> i'm sorry my, my my uk repertoire in terms of comedians is not as good as my american
0: but beth stelling so what is it what does she do is she does she just do 50 sit-ups on stage what
1: no she's she's she can be very slow and very quick so she can she's a master at changing her pace um she uh is also really good at handling topics that would scare normal audiences like in her most recent special she talks you know about rape culture um oh. yeah but you it's i i haven't actually seen it yet but i know i want to because it's up for an emmy and also she's hilarious and she's also, you know, very autobiographical. She's very deadpan. She can be very dry. All things that I aspire to be. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, you know, like, if you know, when you see someone who has been doing comedy for a long time, and they're very polished, and they're very, everything's so well thought out. That's just, in general, if I see that, that inspires me.
0: I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes when I see it, like you see a really good act that's been going for years and years, mm-hmm. they come into a new material night. It's all like 10 minutes of new material. And it's mm-hmm. funnier than most of the people in the bills, best material. And they've not really, they, all they've got is a little notepad. They barely look at barely, but any working in it's boom. People are yeah. crying of laughter. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely, man.
0: What's what's been the funniest thing you've seen, like like what on stage? What what's?
1: oh yeah. Keep keep the question small. All right. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever seen in, on stage, man. I won't be able to pick a funniest of all time moments. So let me just pick something that happened recently. Um, I mean, I mean, when I saw Beth Stelling, this was two nights ago. She, she was very polished, but then she messed up a delivery of a joke. And she, and she twisted her mouth. I can't even do it. And this is not good humor for a podcast, but she twisted her mouth in such a weird way, um, the expression was hilarious. And then she talked about how her mouth looked like she was trying to eat hot pizza and she, <laughs> it was so funny. And it was so visual and it, one of the worst examples for a podcast. Um, but that's just what I thought of. So take that or leave it.
0: Hmm. And what, what's what's been pick one key moment in your comedy journey. You've had a lot and you've been for a while. But what's and it can be recently or any time. But what's one moment that's been like, what the fuck is this? What's been something that's really questioned your humanity or like what you think is possible oh, in comedy in a crazy an way question. and a good way?
1: Oh, good. Well, I wouldn't I don't know if I would say good, but I didn't think of a moment. I mean, I was doing a show in Los Angeles at an alternative venue. So the comedy is usually unconventional. Let's put it that way. And this is around 1130 at night. So it's a late, late show. And um, I was, go- there, nobody was in the room except for people who were doing the show. There was no audience. It was just the five of us, you know, a improv troupe, um, some experimental comedians, and then some stand-ups. And we, uh, um, a, a guy went up on stage and I hadn't gone up yet and he needed a volunteer from the audience. And I was the only person paying attention, so of course he picked me. And so I go up on stage, and the first thing he does is he pulls out a pink bodysuit, a fully pink bodysuit. He asks me to put it on, so I put it on over my clothes. So now I look like a human penis. I'm just full in a pink bodysuit. He gives me a piece of paper. He says, please read this, and he walks off stage. And I read the piece of paper, and it's a suicide note. And so I'm in a pink bodysuit reading about how this is the last day of my life, off this piece of paper this guy gave me and it's kind of funny but it's also the weirdest thing i've ever seen and um it does okay i get off stage i take off the pink bodysuit i give him back his piece of paper and then he says thanks and he leaves before i even do my set and then i and then i'm up next and then i go up and i do my set <laughs>
0: what did that one say and how did they respond what happened
1: <laughs> uh i mean i think i took it pretty well well like i mean i did not maybe this was uh, the wrong thing to do, but I was respectful of his bit, you know, when I was on stage reading the note, I just did it because that's what he asked. I wasn't like, this is stupid. Why am I up here? Um, I was a little, maybe I should have been, I don't know, more resistant, but it wasn't until I got up afterwards for my set that I was like, what did I just do? Is that, was that man a comedian? Was he allowed to be here? You know? Um, and then anyway, the the show goes by, it goes fine. It's super late. And I come out I leave and outside the, the area outside the, the club area, he's just out there having a smoke. And he's like, Thanks, man. And I'm like, you didn't see so you went out here to smoke but you wouldn't watch our set, you just did your stupid thing and then you left. You know? Anyway, it was so weird. It I have like pictures, but they're not good pictures, but it's just me looking like a condom reading out off a piece of paper. It's so stupid.
0: <laughs> and he didn't even get you a drink or anything.
1: No, he didn't um and then he said and then he said i'll book you for my show and i'm and i I was said yes but internally i was like you don't have a show and i don't want to be in whatever you think your show is
0: (laughs) is is there is but is uh, that must have um, i feel for you man
1: (laughs) oh yeah it was it was it was weird it was weird
0: is, is there quite a lot of alternative events like that? Because I do remember mm-hmm. one guy came in and brought a mannequin in LA and then some guy, who, um, how do I say it? Some other guy, some other comic comes up after him and says, yo, dog, that shit is crazy. What the fuck? I hate yeah. comedians. What is that?
1: <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. I think I've seen the guy with the mannequin before. Uh... Well yeah, that is that that's very common because in any big comedy city, there's going to be a counterculture, people who aren't don't want to do mainstream comedy who want to feel, you know, like they're doing outside the norm comedy. So that's always going to be true. That was true in Seattle too, although it was less common than in Los Angeles. So I think in every big comedy scene there's people doing stuff that they think is uh, out of left field. And I I respect it. I mean, I try to think I do kind of some of that with poetry, although it's still I mean, I work on it and I still work on it like jokes. So it's not like I'm pulling a mannequin up on stage.
0: But I think the best thing to do is if you do something left field and you're able to put it where it's accepted by what's Mm. the regular standard and you do those other gigs as well. I mean, that is fantastic. The amount of Mm -hmm. like the amount of performance you get to learn off, the amount of gigs you get, the amount of paid opportunities as well. It's, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you can, yeah, if you can corner something, uh, um uh uh, a style and you get known as that that's huge um i'll actually bring it back to poetry because this this reminded me it 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 can also um i mean you get known for that though like for example i got booked on a show once and they specifically asked me to read my poetry and i was fine with that i have no issue with that but i have other material that's not just poetry i'm not 24 7 poetry and so you know that's a pitfall sometimes is if you wanted to do other material People know you for the poetry they're that's what they come for that's what they might expect
0: uh, so yes. mm. that's that's the thing i had with uh, another comic he he's basically he's benjamin bella but he plays this com- comedy uh dictate african dictator called president Abunjo. and because he's <laughs> well known for that everyone wants uh, to see him play that mm-hmm, but when mm-hmm. he performs to do himself no one accepts it because he's known for that and i think mm-hmm the mindset that goes into people is they don't if you're known for that and you do well as that they don't want to take the risk of you not doing well in that they don't know that side of you
1: exactly exactly
0: is that also maybe to do a bit with acting because a lot of actors get typecast mm-hmm. and unless you're known as an actor that like Tom Hardy or Leonardo DiCaprio who is known for being a maverick playing different roles it's much harder for you to switch from this to that or whatever.
1: Yeah. I will say it is a bit weird in comedy to book somebody and ask specifically for some material, you know, like, have you ever been booked on a show and then they ask you to do a specific set of material? You just go up and do your stuff, right?
0: Yeah. Just do my- Yeah. Oh, and you had that happen to you?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, with, with the, well, I mean, like, this is my friend of mine and I, you know, I love them and I was fine to do it, but yeah, they asked me to, on a show specifically to do my poetry stuff because they were, they were, it was kind of a variety show, and so they wanted people who had unconventional acts to be on the show. And so that's, I understand. But in general, I feel like comedy, maybe you can get away with this because people don't often ask, they come out, they book you because they think you're funny. And if they even if they like a certain set of material that you do, they don't, no one really asks you, do this, can you please do this one joke, or can you please do your music, or whatever.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's a bit, too, it could have. But you said as well with poetry you have to set it up were you able to set it up in that gig or did that because they said that did that have an effect on the success of the
1: great question yeah remember that show hmm, i think that they did introduce me as a poet and that um again is fine i'm not gonna tell people how to introduce me they can do whatever they want but it already gets when they hear a poet's coming on stage they're not settling in for a good night of funny belly laughs, you know. They're settling in for something what they think is going to be, I don't know, thoughtful or dark or emo, which you know. The, I always think what are the most basic assumptions about poetry, and people I think often think Edgar Allan Poe like dark, sad things that aren't ripe for comedy. So if, if I'm being introed and I don't have control over that introduction, yeah, I have to start out by redefining poetry. So I guess that's the advantage of reading the, the reviews on my book that I mentioned, is that they're just funny, regular jokes in the form of a review. So I can warm them up that way. But that still was a hard, uh, it was a hard gig. Uh, they weren't. They, I was also on first too, which I don't think is the best slot for poetry to go first.
0: One thing that I've found a killer to be in some shows is when they do open mics, but they don't pay any thought into that at all. So some music open mics, they would have just music and then yeah. comedy. And mm-hmm. if someone plays a really soft, emotional love song and you put a mm-hmm. comedian on afterwards, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, if you just go in straight and do your jokes, you're finished,
1: mate. You have to sort of engage or get right. some sort of change the atmosphere. Yeah, totally, totally. And I've done mixed open mics like that and I've read poetry and mixed open mics like that and it did not go well. It's very hard. It's very hard, especially if you're working on new stuff. And you're like, is this not funny because of the atmosphere? Is this not funny because it's not funny? It's the, it's the never ending question.
0: I used to do a lot of those nights, used to think, oh, any stage is stage time. Oh, it mm. gives me this and that. But then I think now, if, if I mean, did it lead me anywhere? Has it helped? Did it do any of the job? No. So then I don't do them anymore. You know, you, it, is it giving you any results? Is it productive? Like right. I'm, I'm. I don't think I'm going to do any in London and in the UK. There are there is the option of avoiding doing open mics with just comedians, but some of them are bringer shows. I am mm. willing to take that chance of doing a bringer show, provided that I'm no longer just going to perform a front of comedians, because at the end of the, I want to make audiences laugh. I'm not here to work on the art of making right. other comics laugh, and the thing that also annoys me and surprises me. So when people post their podcast or post their links in groups that are filled with self-serving people so it's mm-hmm. there may be a lot of people but they're all filled with a self-interest if you're putting a podcast on donkeys and that's your passion even though you're a comedian this and that they got no interest in it everyone's thinking about how can it be a benefit to me how can it make it what i want if you're putting a donkey thing they don't give a shit. but you keep posting it there yeah like why would you post it on someone that doesn't have any interest in it
1: yeah Let me pose another situation to you, which is for, I haven't experienced this, but this is for higher level comics. If you're hired to do a fundraiser, so you're getting paid, you show up and it's a fundraiser for, I'll use my cancer example again. It's a fundraiser for breast cancer. This is a hypothetical example, but it's a fundraiser for breast cancer and there's a bunch of speakers. It's like, you know, fundraiser hosts and organizers and then the presidents of your organizations. And they also hire a comedian, like maybe Jim Gaffigan, to go up and do some comedy. So people, you know, shell out money that's a stats i feel like it's a similar vibe to a mixed open mic where people aren't there for the comedy they're there to support a cause and you and you're the only comedian on the lineup so you have to coax them into being in the mood for comedy like that is i think that's a hard position to be in
0: yeah you have to do something i mean it's not not impossible but unless you unless you're paid to do it unless you've done I think you'd have to do all your best stuff and put absolutely everything out there to turn it well but if you're just testing out new material is it really useful
1: yeah and the mood of the night as well is it's not a comedy show mood it's a we're benefiting cancer kind of night you know so how open are they going to be to Jim Gaffigan's horse jokes
0: (laughs) exactly it's I had this moment where I was late in an evening and it was the, the atmosphere everything was dead because it was 30 acts music and comedians and everyone was exhausted and I could oh, see I'm they they weren't there. they weren't ready for anything and I tried to gym up a bit and get some energy or they asked come on guys give a cheer and then one of the guys says I'm too tired
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh you know at that point I, I let I myself off the hook there's nothing you can do man if they're tired, there's. I mean, I'm not that. I don't know if you're that comedian. I'm not that comedian. I can't be like the show is like happening again. Yeah, we're all energetic again. I can't. I can't be that person. You know.
0: Yeah, I don't think I am either. But I wanted to try and get something because I'm not. I don't want it to be completely dead. But yeah, mm. that was that was quite funny when he said that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just got to acknowledge it. That's the next thing to do. You know, be like, yeah, we're all tired. It's a long show. Everyone sucked. No one was funny. <laughs>
0: do you regularly do poetry nights on their own or?
1: Um, no, I mean, before the pandemic, I was still getting acquainted with the LA poetry scene, just the individual poetry scene. Cause a lot of what I, when I write poetry that's not for comedy, I read it, you know, alone and I try and publish it online. So there's not much, I don't have people to bounce it off or reading it out. Um, out. But actually, you no, know, I've had, had opportunities though, for because of comedy, where I could share and read poetry in a non-comedy setting, so that's been really nice. Um, I have to get out there more and be more in person because a lot of my experience with poetry has been online or via electronic correspondence.
0: Ah, okay, yeah, that's slightly different. Mm-hmm. One thing that we sort of spoke of before the podcast started, and you said something in an interview. You said that poetry is a bit like your recovery from Mm stand-up
1: absolutely uh creatively my my brain has trouble working on one thing for a long time and so i need i need creative breaks from things so if i'm like i'm working on this one chunk right now in comedy um and if i am getting burnt out by it i switch gears and i do something completely unrelated to writing a comedy bit i write poetry um I you know, um, draw something, I'm not a very good drawer, but I just find that having other creative outlets is so important to refresh the parts of my brain that I use. Like during, during the pandemic, I almost completely stopped writing, not that it's over yet, I shouldn't say it like that, but during the worst of the pandemic, I completely stopped writing comedy for a bit. I just focused exclusively on poetry and that was really great and I got super into Reading and writing and learning about what's happening right now in the poetry world. And now that I can do mics again, i going out in the world and doing comedy, I can then put poetry down and, and feel refreshed about doing comedy again. I feel like my creative energy has been, you know, uh, um, balanced by sw- switching between one form to another.
0: Okay. And because and I've, heard, yeah, I've heard that process. It's like when you're trying to solve a problem and you work on another thing. Exactly. You often figure that thing out, but when you try and work in it and try and figure out when you're there, net, there, you get no answers.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really re- refreshing. It's like, it's like, um, I don't know. It's, it's like, if you leave a glass of water out over t- and you're drinking from it over time, maybe it would start out cold and it gets warm. So you need to get a new glass of water and make and get cold water again. Terrible example. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that example. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what, what have both art forms given you? Because you, you do them for slightly different reasons. But what have they developed you as a person? Mm. Like some people have said they've made them more confident, more free. Mm. And it's
1: Well, straightforwardly, comedy maybe maybe funnier. <laughs> uh, which humor, I'm sure as I'm sure you know, is a valuable tool outside of the stage. Like, people like you if you're funny. You can get things if you're funny. Um, uh, on the poetry side, I've become more introspective. Um, I'm, it's easier for me to share what I'm feeling. Something that I think a lot of people have struggled with is what exactly is this feeling that I'm feeling? And so putting it down on, putting it into words is really nice. Um, being able to express grief well, that's really that's really important. Uh, Being able to let things out and not just have it, you know, settle inside you, that's so important. And I also feel like poetry is a place where you can express not just the basic human emotions, but the complicated ones. Like, of course, you can express what, you know, the loss of a loved one, grief or loving somebody romantically, the basics. But I feel like there's also like an opportunity to express minutia of life. Like if if one specific interaction with, with a friend didn't make you feel good, but you still love that person. So I mean that's a complicated feeling. It's not something that's easily expressible. But if you can write it down or find a way to equate it in, in language, it can help you think about what you're feeling.
0: Yeah. And you let it out. I, I hear sometimes I've with this article on like secrets and emotions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> Have you seen? There's a silly YouTube channel called Charisma and Command or whatever. I've not tried it, but it sounds daft. They like if you're annoyed with someone, write an apology letter from them and then throw it away. Oh. But one thing that I've have found quite quite efficient is if you have ideas that you want to keep to yourself, write it down and throw it away or shred it. That I found quite good.
1: Yeah, and I when I you know was in university taking poetry classes with my with my fellow peers they would write poems for themselves and we would read them but they didn't write it for us they had no intent of sharing it and i like doing that as well writing stuff for yourself um uh you know with no intent of having it, anyone see it that i think even by putting it on a paper you're you're already letting something out you know even if people don't read it or don't understand it that act is uh, therapeutic it's for you mhm exactly
0: Okay. So look, is this, this is, it's flown by this, this chat. <laughs>
1: is it? I, how long do you guys usually go for?
0: I usually go for, it depends. It's up and down. The mm-hmm. most I've had is like one hour, 45 minutes, two hours and 20 minutes, but it's, it's really, it's, it's only twice. Has it gone to that amount? Normally an hour and a half an hour and below gotcha. an out.
1: Hey man i'll get as deep or as light as you want to okay you want to talk about uh i don't know horrible horrible thoughts keep us up at night i'm down for that as well or we can <laughs> <you know.
0: laughs> no it's the only thing that i would like to get into now is i heard that you're a screenwriter as well so is that is that
1: uh in, in the loosest sense i have never had anything on a script get put anywhere on screen uh i've gotten gotten close certainly gotten close but never anything on the screen um but the but the i do enjoy it's very difficult but i do enjoy screenwriting and i have written a short film and um working on a pilot right now very los angeles but those are all difficult things um and it's fun but it's it doesn't come as easily to me as poetry comedy um the the form is difficult to me, and so I I like doing it, but it's I, it requires more work creatively.
0: Okay, and with with everything that's happened and all, all that's been for your life, mm-hmm. but partic- but let's let's talk about like during COVID times and this year, mm-hmm. like what has twenty twenty and twenty twenty one taught you the most?
1: Um. Wow. I, yeah, you can get up and go to the bathroom while I'm thinking about it. Go for it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, th- I told myself this before the pandemic, but I think it matters more now is patience. Like I'm always so impatient with where I am creatively, what I'm doing, who I'm with, you know, okay. I just have to constantly tell myself just because you don't have this one thing at this moment, just because you're not, you know, doing Madison square garden right now in this next, <laughs> next weekend. You know, you have, to, you have to focus on your moment, what you're working on right now, where you're at, and just be patient with your life. You know, some things, like comedy especially, never comes instantly. When you're on stage, you get that laugh instantly. But outside of it, all that work comes after years of, years of toiling, after writing, talking to people, figuring out what you're doing. And so okay. I have to tell myself, just be patient with yourself.
0: Okay. And for anyone that sort of wants to find out about you. No follow-up question to
1: that. To the... <laughs>
0: no, I, I'll, okay. I'll say one thing on that. So the patience, right? Mm-hmm. What was something that was an example of that, of where you you learned that lesson?
1: Uh, well, right now, comedy, I think, has been out for rather the past two, three months in Los Angeles. I started doing mics maybe a month ago to get back into it. But now my headset is like, why am I not, why am I not on every show in this city? You know, a terrible unhealthy thought, but that I had to tell myself, you have to be patient. Things just opened up, literally just opened up. Okay. So you have to give yourself a bit everyone a bit of time to get ease back into the flow of things, let shows start going, let people see you. That has to happen before you're, you come back and instantly come back to comedy after not doing it for over a year and instantly be like, and I'm back into the same thing I was in before when everything shut down.
0: Well, I mean, things are getting back to normal, hopefully, and they're they're picking up a bit. So maybe things will change for the better.
1: I hope so. I'm trying to try not to think about it too much and just focus on what I'm doing today, which is working on us that chunk I'd mentioned and figuring out what I can do with it.
0: And you don't know what's, yeah, exactly. You don't know what's going on now. There's too many things. Yeah. but if 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 my name is bobby tarot and i've enjoyed this episode and i've enjoyed listening to your story how would i find out about you
1: well i thought you were going to say if my name is uh mr touch himself weirdo <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's a great callback well, well done uh that's okay you know what let's let's edit this let's edit this and then we'll then you want to start again and and rent reference that guy or we can continue (laughs) no
0: no no we'll continue
1: (laughs) okay i see you're saving yourself so much editing time right now just by saying nope nope we're just going to keep going don't care uh (laughs) um if they wanted to follow me i post my poems and some of my poems and what i'm up to comedy wise on instagram which is at kerwin k-e-r-w-i-e-n um, I'm going to have a website soon. I should have a website right now, but I'm going to have one soon. And then you can buy my book. It's on Amazon. It's called Poems to Ruin Dinner With. And uh, it used to have five stars. So keyword used to. Um, but I think people like it generally.
0: Okay. And guys, he's going to give me a, me a free copy. and he's Absolutely also- not.
1: Nope, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> You're paying full price, my friend. <laughs> it's $6, okay? <laughs> but we actually do have a, a underprivileged program so if you can't afford it you can uh, fill out with an application and i can take a look and see if you are a good beneficiary for the six dollar scholarship that we can okay. give you
0: okay let's see what happens <laughs> <laughs> uh well it's it's been a lot of fun i think it's been a poetic journey
1: <laughs> oh god you just got canceled so hard! Oh my god, you just got canceled. That your career is over.
0: <laughs> I hope you guys don't cancel me. And <laughs> I make sure you, you guys uh, subscribe, share it with your friends, give us a view on iTunes if, or Amazon if you loved it. And I'll see you guys at next episode.